Welcome back to Alan Johnson, that NLP bloke, Stuff and Uncommon Sense, and a special edition this time, the first of a series of interviews and chats with people in and around the NLP well-being and psychology world that I think are interesting and worth listening to. And in this one, we're going to talk to my mentor, Chris Grimsley from NLP in the Northwest, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, so welcome everyone to that NLP blokes podcast, uh, Stuff and Uncommon Sense. It's the first in what I hope to be a series of interviews with people that I respect in the world of NLP and other good stuff. And I wanted to start with uh, Chris Grimsley from NLP in the Northwest, who allowed me to uh, watch him work in all those years ago when I was starting. So he's my mentor. Uh, he's one of the few NLP trainers that I would recommend um, because there is some bad stuff out there, believe it or not. Um, so hello, Chris. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Chris, uh, where, where are you? You look, It looks really sunny there. Well, I'm in my office, Alan, but I'm not showing you the office because it's the right tip. So this is outside the sanctuary of healing. As you know, it's where we do our NLP training. So a beautiful uh, centre for alternative stuff in the leafy Ribble Valley in the northwest of England. Yeah, it's a beautiful building. I've trained there myself a lot with you and uh, it's, yeah. always it's always lovely to go over there, Lancashire. Um, so really, I just want this uh, podcast to be about NLP and other good stuff that you found. Um so maybe useful for people to understand your background, where you came from, what led you to find an NLP um, many years ago now, I believe. Yeah, yeah, many. In fact, it's 25 years next year that I've been training it, Alan. Brilliant. Which is uh, a, good, a good number of years now. So um, the, the story that I tell when I start live training it, is that I've been interested in people and what makes people tick, probably since I was a teenager, so 15, 16, something like that. Uh, and it was driven by, we, we had a family member with a, a major mental health uh, a, a problem. So like many people who come to NLP, it's like the stuff in my past that led me to be curious about the human beings. So I studied psychology, first of all, I went to college, did a first degree in psychology in 1972, I started that, which tells you how old I am. Um, and I did a three year degree and it was sort of interesting, but not very useful. So lots of theory, I had to write essays about nature versus nurture and the theory X versus theory Y. But practically useful stuff in it, almost nothing. So I came out of that, I got into working initially in the health service and then in social services. Still wanted to know what made people tick, thought I'd go and train as a social worker because that will teach me what makes people tick. It didn't. Uh, I came out again, I'd written lots of essays, but nothing much that was practically useful for me. Carried on working in public services, so I, I worked as a direct carer, I worked as a, in residential care, uh, then into management and then into uh, management development stuff. And all the time I'm, I'm trying to find useful, practically useful stuff that would help me to understand what makes me tick and what makes other people tick. And to do that in a way that you can do something about it if you're not ticking so well. So, you know, those days when it's all a bit hard work and you're, oh, I don't want to do this or it's too hard. Ways I could change that and ways that I could change how I get on with other people or tolerate the people I don't get on with. So I, I studied all sorts of things. One of the, the turning points for me was in the 80s. I did some personal development uh, training with the Family Planning Association. So it was around relationships and sexuality. And we had a, a woman do the training with us who knew lots about all sorts of different therapies. So um, 
She was called Val Davis. She was a senior lecturer at Keele University. And she introduced us to transactional analysis, to gestalt therapy, to all sorts of stuff. And also mentioned impassing NLP. So this was like the late 80s when NLP in this country was barely known. And it just sort of lodged in my head. And I thought, oh, I'd like to find out more about that. So I actually applied for a course in 1988, 89, and it was cancelled for lack of interest. So there wasn't enough interest for people to, uh, enough people to warrant the course. So I carried on working and working and working, and then it, it was probably 94, 95, I saw a one-day course advertised, a uh, one-day introduction to NLP course. I thought, oh, I'll go and, go and see what, what that's about. Uh, and at the time I was working in local authority, I was a, a, a management development trainer for a big local authority, went on the course uh, thinking, I'd quite like to change what I do, but I didn't have the courage to do it. And I went on this one day course and I thought, NLP, that's what makes people tick. That's what you can do about it. That explains why we get on or don't get on. I thought, this is wonderful. I've got to find out more about it. And after that, a month or so after that, I found a three-day, it was the core transformation course, so a three-day discrete course. Went on that, uh, went back to work and gave me noticing. Uh, yeah. So I ended me noticing to go freelance. So in terms of what NLP has done for me, well, one of the things is that it's meant that I no longer have a big occupational pension, but actually <laughs> I've, not, I've not had to uh, be a wage slave for 25 years now. Um, and, and I've never looked back, really. So I went from the uh, that single course, I went on and did uh, practitioner training, loved that, went on to do master practice, loved that, went on to do trainer training. Um, I've just never stopped. I've just found it incredibly insightful, useful, practical. It was perfect for me. So pragmatic rather than um, theoretical. Stuff. I think if I'm honest, the thing that excites me most, though, is the is the open courses. Because they, they, the open courses can be longer. And when you see the changes in people from day one to day 20 of the practitioner course, I mean, I, I swear you can actually see people yeah. grow and change and changes happen in their face and they leave behind any rubbish that they've been carrying from the past and they find better ways of being in the world. It's, it's just a joy to see. It's an utter joy to see. I wish I, I could take photos before and after, because yeah. I'm sure you'd see a, a, like a very, very visible difference between folk. Yeah, and I, I experienced that having learned from you, um, how the same sort of approach over the 20 days or 40 days that I have people in the NLP I train, um, life-changing, I think, is, is not an exaggeration for some people. And I think a lot of the time, yeah. as you said, had an idea and I didn't quite have the courage to do something then this stuff kind of straightens out all the kinks to allow you to go and do what you want to do um yeah, so yeah. what what kind of um feedback have you had from people of how they've affected their life changed their life with this stuff well it's hard to find individual stories because most of them most of them follow a, a bit of a pattern so yeah. when I first qualified as a trainer uh, there, there was a guy I knew who'd been doing it for a, a, a while before me, and he talked about the NLP journey as, as he recognised it. And he said, when, when you embark on NLP, there, there's a sort of four stages that we can go through. And he said the starting point for him was healing the past. So leaving behind any of the rubbish that you took on board as a young'un 
or before you knew anything about how we operate. So he said that healing the past stuff is major for folk because it's like the past where we inherit, well, in NLP terms, we inherit programs that can be quite limiting. Yeah. So stuff about self-belief, stuff about unhelpful emotions, stuff about lack of confidence. So all of those things that we, we can sort of layer in in our earlier lives, either through parents or schooling or early early uh, jobs or whatever it is. The, the first thing is NLP gives you a chance to leave that behind. And I think that's just magic, you know. For, for me, that was a big thing because I, I have bucketfuls of that nonsense. So to be able to leave that sort of rubbish behind me was wonderful. Yeah. So, so this guy said, heal the past or, or deal with the past might be a different phrase is, is one thing. Then learn the lessons from it. So what do I learn from that? And how will I do things differently in the future? Uh, and that's sort of the, the NLP practitioner route, I think. It, it sort of deals with those primarily. And then there's... Uh, uh, find your passion yeah so find out you know if we were here for a reason what is it that drives you what is it that, that motivates you what are you passionate about so to find that passion and then the fourth stage is live your mission yeah and i think that's that's what nlp the full training can offer so practitioner for me the stuff about heal the past the number of people who, who've shed just nonsense from the past so people in in sort of very senior responsible positions uh it was terrified of public speaking yeah and some simple timeline stuff on the course and they realized it went back to that time at uh, one of them it was sunday school where a sunday school teacher ridiculed them for getting a word wrong reading from the bible yeah and this person was a senior a, a senior manager in the nhs and she said, uh, I've been asked to uh, deliver a speech at my daughter's wedding, and I'm terrified of doing it. And it goes back to stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, the, the things that we pick up in school, the messages about our, our sort of intelligence or worth or stuff like that. Uh, so people being able to leave that nonsense behind to... Uh, to to sort of live the life that their potential offers. There was one guy who, who had been asked, he'd been headhunted for a senior job in the NHS. And he said, I can't go for it because my spelling's atrocious. And he, he wasn't being employed to be a lexicographer in the NHS. <laughs> you know, he wasn't being employed to, to write dictionaries. Yeah. He was being employed as a leader, but he said, I can't go for it. So just that little sort of seed from the past that can limit us. And there's no end of stories like that that I just think are fabulous. You know, that ability for people just to leave some of that crap behind. Yeah. Because we took it on board because it was the best we could do when we were little, when we were younger. But, you know, I'm, I'm not little or, and young anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a fairly lardy 67-year-old <laughs> now. I don't need all of that stuff. I don't need that stuff uh, restricting what, I, what, I'm, what I'm capable of. No. And... So we've both worked in public sector in helping yeah. helping industries. Um, and my experience is a lot of conventional approaches just don't even think that way or don't have the resources to change those things. Um, so some of my mission and my frustration over the years has been to give people really powerful change, you know, to get rid of all that stuff from the past in a way that understands that 
it was a decision I made when before I was seven, probably, that's just yeah. stuck with me. And uh, seeing lots of people get out of those old patterns really quickly because often they were learned really quickly uh, as a one-off experience as a child. And then, yeah. you know, NLP and other techniques like them can undo them in one session and one, one, one change of belief, really. Yeah. Is that, yeah. That's what you've and, experienced, and I guess. Yeah. And, and the beauty of that is when you locate the, you know, when we talk about past experiences, one of the phrases we use, it's like the beat on a string. So each time there's a negative experience of a particular type, it's like another beat goes on the string. So there's a knock from the first experience and a beat, then a beat, then a beat, and you get more and more beats. So that when you get to be uh, adult, if something happens in the here and now, that resonates with that thing from the past, what you've got is a whole load of beads that you're responding to, not just the event in the here and now. And, and the thing that is, astonishes me is when you track down that first, the first experience that's that not in that first beat, how easy it is to let the whole thing go. Yeah. To recognise that that was done. It's like out of conscious awareness, your unconscious mind was doing absolutely the best it could at that moment in time. So as you were talking, I was thinking about me and smoking. So, so I used to smoke really heavily. I haven't done for a long time now. But the bead that I found was the, a, a really sort of difficult emotional time in our family. Uh, when I was probably about 12 or 13, there'd been a, a, a big sort of bust up thing at home. Uh, and my dad took me off out of the way and he offered me a fag. So Chris at 12, 13 thought, well, the way you handle uh, difficult emotions is you have a fag. Yeah, I didn't think that consciously. It's like that's what the unconscious did, and there were other things around then that were associated with it. But then that became something that I did for the next thirty years, probably. Yeah. So because that's that's how men deal with difficult emotions. If they have a fact for each other. I mean, it's mad, but it's understandable from that experience. Yeah. I think there's two of the the presuppositions for me, Alan. So one is that thing about the unconscious mind's benevolent. So. Most of what we do, it's not our conscious mind doing it. The conscious mind likes to think it's in charge, yeah. but actually most of what we do, uh, it's not the conscious, it's not your conscious mind that does most of what you do. So the, the sort of, um, like I use a lot of driving analogies when I'm training. And most of us, when we're driving the car, it's not the conscious mind that's driving the car. It's the habitual patterns that we've built up. So I don't have to think when to lift my foot off the accelerator, when to depress the clutch, all of that. It just happens automatically. The conscious mind says, take me to the century, and the unconscious mind drives the car there. So, so most of the decisions that we make, we don't make, and certainly in earlier life, we didn't make consciously because we didn't have the, like, the brain capacity for it. So, you know, if I took me in smoking as, a, as an issue, at that time, that was the best that that 12-year-old unconscious mind could make out as a way of handling difficult emotions. Some people, it might be, uh, you know, people who flush with embarrassment, they go red with embarrassment. Well, that was the best that their unconscious mind knew to get them out of a difficult situation or to respond to a difficult situation, uh, probably. So, so I think that unconscious mind's benevolent. Look for, it's almost like what's the positive intention behind that response. Yeah. And that's the other presupposition, that all behaviour has a positive intention. So whatever you're doing or whatever somebody else is doing, no matter how bizarre it might seem, they're doing it or you're doing it or I'm doing it for a good reason in our world. 
And if we can look for the positive intention behind the behavior, then we can find different ways of, of sort of satisfying that intention. Yeah. And if we find different ways of satisfying the intention, the behavior doesn't have to carry on like that. But if you yeah. try and change the behavior without changing the intention, without satisfying the intention, it just crops up another. The smoking thing, I, I stopped smoking three times a year for 15 years. You're getting rid of and, it. And tried every <laughs> every trick in the book to do it. Yeah. I even tried willpower once. I was that desperate. I even thought <laughs> I'll get you willpower. What a waste of time that was. But it was only when I came to NLP and I started to realise there's positive intentions behind the behaviour. Once I start satisfying those intentions in different ways, the behaviour could have sort of, well, it's certainly less powerful. And we've had lots of stories. You know, you asked me earlier about um, uh, like stories of, of how people have used it. So um, stories of people who work with uh, folk who self-harm. And when the, the mental health nurse, he said, um, we, we always try and get people to stop the behaviour, which is fair to you know, do that. He said, once we started thinking in terms of what's the positive intention behind the behaviour, and he said, generally, it was one of two, well, one or two things. So emotional release or uh, a feeling of having some control in their life. Yeah. And he said, once we start working with people and giving them different strategies for emotional release, different strategies to have control in their lives, the urge to cut diminished massively. But if you just try and stop it, it'll come out somewhere else. That's the sort yeah. of notion, because there's an intention that isn't being satisfied there. Yeah, and it's it's the they're the principles on which we build of the, all of this stuff. Is there any particular yeah. um, approach or any of those thoughts that particularly work well for you, or that you find that you go to most of the time? Is because it, it's such a big subject. NLP has yeah. got a lot of facets to it, but um, sometimes just some of the basic, simple stuff is what we all yeah. uh, certainly what I go back to. Is there anything you particularly go back to? Uh, I usually, if, if it's for me or if it's for other people, my starting point is normally the content of the foundation diploma. So uh, I don't know if people are watching and listening would know, but there's a model in the in the foundation diploma called the Mercedes model. That's a way of understanding what you're doing on the inside and how it comes out on the outside. So the relationship between our thoughts, our feelings and our external behaviour, and particularly how the pictures sound self-talk, generate the feelings come out in the behaviour and then how the behaviour affect those. So, so that's one of my starting points is just to like, get a bit clearer about what's going on. So let's do that. So I, I mentioned before we started, we've got this piling work going on yeah. across the way. Uh, yeah. So they start building this new estate. And I found myself getting enraged by the noise and the vibration that we could feel in our house. And what I realised when I stopped and I sort of started running it through NLP, that's just external uh, uh, stimulation. That's that sensory-based information. On the inside, I've got an internal voice that's screaming, how dare you interrupt my life? How dare you interrupt my face? How dare... And it's I'm going really berserk to the extent that I, I seriously wondered about going over and sabotaging the machine. Cut this bit out. Yeah. <laughs> But it, I was driving myself. I was driving myself into a frenzy of anger by the self-talk. So just monitoring that for me is one of the best things that, that I know to do. And once I monitor that, then I can have some control over it. 
And then I think the external behaviour stuff as well. So just things like uh, changing your posture, the walking with grace and power stuff that we talk about is really nice. Yeah. My personal favourites tend to be more kinesthetic because that's my preference. So so things like I like anchoring, I like stuff that involves movement. Yeah. Uh, but the people, you know, depending on their preference, other people's preferences will lead them to like other, other techniques and processes. More. Yeah. And you and I have been around this NLP world for quite a few years now. Um, and yeah. my, my experience is that not all NLP trainers are the same and not all NLP courses are the same quality. A um, couple of things, really. What's your opinion on that and, and how much out there is worth? Because people don't know what they're looking for when they first look for a course yeah. like this. So what, what would let, if someone's looking, someone isn't able to access URI because they're in another part of the world, um, what would you say they need to look for in a, in a good NLP course or, or similar course? Um, and what do you think it is yeah. about your values that, that makes it work so well for 25 years? Because a lot of companies don't last that long. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the person's sub values and learning styles. So uh, if, if people are pragmatists, if, if, if what they want is, is to quickly pick up stuff that works, then my approach, your approach is brilliant. If you want deep theory, don't come to me. Yeah, I'll make <laughs> so, so one of the things, so, you know, NLP has some very technical language in it. And I tend not to use the technical language. I've aimed over the years to translate that technical language into plain English. I've actually, my aim has been to turn it into Burnley. Because <laughs> if I can get it across in Burnley, in an ordinary everyday way, then I can probably get it across most places. But if I start talking in that, that sort of very technical academic language, you know, this, this stuff about unspecified referential indices and blah, 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 I would lose my audience immediately because I want to get people who are pragmatists and want to go out there and use it. But if you were, if you were academic, you really would want to. I, I had somebody, she was a professor, uh, trained with me on practitioner years ago. She didn't like it because we didn't spend enough time like pouring over the the uh, the theory behind it and linking to other theories. Yeah. So I don't think there's right and wrong. I think there's right and wrong for your learning styles and also for your values. Yeah. So so a lot of people NLP sold by a lot of people about do this, you, you'll have a Porsche within a year. You, you know, it's it's like that money driven success stuff. Yes. And you, you won't have a Porsche within a year if you do NLP with me. Although one guy who has a business, he, he did uh, quadruple his takings just by taking on board one thing. But it's very unusual for, for folk like that to train with me. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you do that wonderful slot on uh, spiral dynamics. You, uh, spiral dynamics is a way of understanding different cultures. So I train people who come from a humanitarian cultural background, so values background, not from an entrepreneurial one. So I think it's, it's that fit. Find somebody who fits your values and fits your learning styles. Personally, I'd say find somebody who, who teaches in plain English as well, because I do think that's important. It's, uh, uh, you, you can disappear in the theory of NLP without, uh, uh, without too much difficulty. Yeah. And... You've recently, I know that over the, the last few years, spent quite a lot of time putting together an online version of what you do so people could access it from anywhere. Yeah. If, if they like our yeah. style, your values, 
Uh, do you want to say yeah. a bit about what that's about, and then what I can do at the end of this, yeah, I can put a, I can put a link so everyone can have a, a look at that if they want. Yeah. Yeah, smashing. Thank you. So th there's actually two versions of it. So um, I've got an online school. I hate the phrase online school. It sounds very sort of school teachery and pupil. But I've got one online school that is primarily it's, um, edited live footage of our NLP uh, collection of courses. So we've got the foundation diploma practitioner. We've got yourself doing uh, spiral dynamics with some stuff about applied NLP with uh, uh, how you can use it working with cravings and addictions. Uh, we've got some clean, like we've got a lot of the stuff there. So that's NLP in the northwest.teachable.com. The other thing that's been a more recent uh, um, um, initiative has been, um, as well as doing open NLP courses, I did lots of applied NLP in organisations. So uh, NLP applied to leadership, applied to working with troubled teams, uh, applied to how do, you, how do you just sort of keep yourself sane in this uh, difficult <laughs> world that we're in. Um, and it, it's based on, I, I did a, a, a master's degree in organisational analysis 20 odd years ago. And, and on that course, they talked about organisations. You can conceive of them as though they're uh, icebergs. The bit that you see of an iceberg is the bit that sticks out of the water, and that's where the stuff that gets written down in an organisation lives. So things about um, mission statements, uh, policies, procedures, strategy documents, structures, all the rest of that. And that's where an awful lot of attention in organisations go to that stuff. Uh, the course I attended, the guy at the front of the room, he was talking about this. He said, how well does that actually describe what goes on in your organisation day in, day out? And at the time, I was working in a big local authority. And it's like he hit me with a club because I suddenly thought, he doesn't. That bears no resemblance to any reality that I experienced. And he said, that's because the bottom of the iceberg is a human process that you rely on to get the top of the iceberg done. So the top of the iceberg just gives you a frame within which you have to operate, but actually it's people that get the job done in most organisations. And at the bottom of the iceberg, there's two main aspects. One is how, how's that person on a given day? So the individual, what are their feelings and emotions like? What sort of uh, perceptions have they got? How are they interpreting stuff? What beliefs and values do they bring? And then the other bit is how we get on as colleagues, how do we get on with customers? How do we get on with other organisations? So the interpersonal. So top of the iceberg's task, you need it to frame what you're doing. Bottom of the iceberg is the personal and interpersonal. So I started applying NLP to how it can help at the bottom of the iceberg. So how can it help you to have more, more good days and less bad? How can it help you to understand how you get on with other people? And how can it help you to be more effective in what you're doing at the top of the iceberg? So I've sort of cherry-picked NLP. I've used that modelling notion about finding the 20% that gives you the 80%. And come up with a, a there's a core programme that we, we've called MindFit. MindFit, practical psychology for leading and living in challenging times. And I'm dead excited because it's just been uh, uh, tested out by a uh, a health service, um, uh, uh, a stroke service in over in Yorkshire. Really? So there's 50 people going through it. Excellent. Uh, as a way of, of sort of, when we, when we can't do live training, 
this gives you some good online stuff. It gives you some helpful stuff that you can, you can pick up from. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think it could be uh, smashing. I've always wanted to, to be able to have influence in the world. Yeah. Not from a big-headed point of view. But, you, you know, see this stuff ripple out. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that might be a way of it, but it rippling out more. So uh, Excellent. It, it's, it's, intru- it's a bit scary in truth as well, because... You know, you know, I've got this Doro complex. I actually don't <laughs> like people knowing it's me. That, in fact, the fact that I'm doing this without my mask on is, is quite astonishing, Alan. You know? Yeah. Well, I am honoured that you've uh, you've agreed to do this, and it, it is. Um, I think it's just lovely for people to hear the person or the personality and the values behind what kind of training they would get. Because I know Pete, in my world, is undoubtedly amazing stuff that everyone yeah. should know. But as you've said, it's how. Uh, you know what's the how for you how do you like things to be delivered um and you know i i kind of cringe when i see people saying be an nlp practitioner in three days online for 20 quid or or, and and i just i just would like people to not get a bad example of it you know whatever works for them get a good example of it something that's practical and i think it's it is um i think you can get a lot of benefit from from for instance watching your stuff online um, but finding a way to actually apply it and get your hands in and doing it, uh, I think it's yeah. always been for me. There's a model of training that, I've, well, a, a way of understanding different levels of training that, that I think works really well with that. So, so depending on what training you're doing, some training gives you an awareness. So uh, I do a one-hour introduction to something. I, I know that thing exists. I know a tiny bit about it. A bit more depth, it gives you knowledge. So I do a half a day course on NLP. I know it was developed by Bandler and Grinder in 1972 and I know what it means and blah, 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 blah. The stuff that I want to do is more the third and fourth level. So the third level is about developing skill and application. So I want people not just to know about it and be able to go, oh, yes, I've heard of timelines. I I want people to be able to go away and practically um, use it for themselves and with others. And that takes time because that's a skill rather than a knowledge thing. And this is where those short courses, I think, go out the window. Yeah. Because you don't develop a skill just from one exposure to something online. I'll go back to driving. You know, if, if, if you learn to drive, there's not many of us had one lesson and then we're perfectly competent drivers. And, and certainly I wasn't. So, you know, it took me a number of years and a number of attempts me to too. develop the skill <laughs> and be proficient with that. And then the fourth level is the attitude change. So that's when it becomes part of you. Yeah. And that only happens on longer programs, I think. So, so things like the, the practitioner course and being able to see those changes in people, you can actually see the change in their approach to life. You can see the change in their it, – it's like NLP isn't something they do. It, it starts to be part of them. Yeah. So yeah. they take it on board as a way of, of being in the world, really. So, yeah. Uh, identity identity upgrades yeah. And yeah absolutely and I, you know i've been training for 16 years now and i've seen a lot of people i know all those years ago um and i've seen a lot of people uh, grow i think it's probably the best word you know grow, grow out of old patterns into new ones yeah. done the things they've always wanted to do whether that's leave work and start their own career or move on a relationship that wasn't working or whatever it's they've just found themselves um, and I think for me, it's about clarity for what is me and what's other yeah. people, what's my stuff to be concerned with, what's other people's stuff, um, how do we get the best out of each other, but ultimately, how do I find myself and know what, what I'm for 
uh, what my mission is. And, and that and thing about seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So, so you know, on courses we talk about, we're as different on the inside as we look different on the outside. And if you want to work well with somebody else, you need to be curious about how does their behaviour make sense to them on the inside, rather than try and sort of tell them that you're right and they're wrong. So I think interpersonally, that that's one of the individual. It's probably about sort of keep your finger on your own emotional pulse, on your own psychological pulse. So monitor what you're doing on the inside. If you're feeling fed up or, or enraged or whatever, start to be curious about, I wonder how I'm doing that. What am I doing on the inside? I can hear this pile drivers going again, and I was just about to veer off down that we, enraged we can't, thing. We can't hear them, Chris. We can't hear yeah, them. I, well, you've got your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I could veer down that. How bloody dare they do that? Oh, I sort of out. The, the minute that I, I locate that, I can go, yeah, okay, well, it's just noise, really. So, so I, I think that. And probably the third thing is about, it's the it's the outcome setting stuff about moving from what you don't want to what you do want. So rather than dwelling on this is horrible and I don't like it and I'm unhappy with this, if if you're in that sort of situation, start to go okay. So if it's not what I want, what is it I do want? So manage your state, be seek to understand others, and look to what you'd rather have uh, rather than what you don't, uh, rather rather than what's wrong. So. Fantastic. Yeah, I think those for me are the three sort of um, almost like three pillars of NLP. Uh, yeah, and what you get from doing the training as well. Yes, amazing. Um, fantastic. Well, thanks, Chris, for joining us today and giving us lots of stuff to think about, especially people who are not quite sure whether NLP is for them or not. It's just giving them some ideas as to as to how how to get some good training. Um, and I think good if people are not able to access live training. Your online training is a good place to start. So I will put the links yeah. at the end, so at the end I'll let you go back you... to the sanctuary in the sun there. And uh <laughs> <laughs> been lovely talking to you, Chris. And I yeah. um, hope to see you soon in real person. Um we we have we oh, are really? recording oh, we're recording this at the end of um lockdown in England in twenty twenty one. Um so if you're watching this in the future, this 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 is just ridiculous. <laughs> it would be it'll be something from the past soon. Uh, but yes, we're hoping to be, uh, all things have been equal, we'll be together in a few weeks for some more training at that beautiful venue behind you, in the sunshine. Yeah. So uh, look forward yeah, to that, Chris. That will be lovely. That will be lovely. Thanks again, Chris, and um, all, all the best. Thanks for listening again. hope you enjoyed the interview with Chris. There'll be more interviews to come in the future podcasts. Please join me on the next podcast and until then, like, share and favourite all the podcasts and get this spread as far and wide as possible. See you next time.